Hi there, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. I'm your host, Editor Maduni Christian, joined again by Ned Russell, Edward Russell, who covers airlines for Skift and Airline Weekly. Today we talk about vaccine mandates, the Regional Airline Association's recent conference, and just how big Qatar Airways' loss was. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey there, Ned. How are you? I'm good, Madhu. How are you? How was your trip back from New York? It was, you know, it was my first uh, work trip uh, since the pandemic began, and it was a little strange, I won't lie. I mean, the whole experience of staying in a hotel and flying back uh, was um, was different. You know, it was uh, it was different to, I mean, I've traveled for leisure, and that also was different, but the, the experience of wearing a mask, the way concessions are in the airport, I mean, it, it's... I've just had to wonder when I was sitting in that transcontinental flight, is this how it's going to be in the future? I mean, remember after September 11th, there was a lot of new protocols that were put in place for security and same after the um, the um, the bomber was found with the bottle of Lucozade, um, you know, and then we stopped carrying liquids. And now is there going to be a new health layer? I just wonder. It's So I, I don't think we know the answer to that. No, I don't think we do. But at least here in the U.S., we're going to be wearing masks into 2022. That's for sure. That's for sure. That's absolutely for sure. So enough about my travel. Ned, you went to the Regional Airlines Association Conference in Washington, D.C. on Monday, September 27th. We're recording this on September 29th. So uh, tell us tell us what you learned there. You know, it was it was frankly it was really nice to get back to an industry conference after pretty much two years of, of virtual events. You know, I saw a lot of people were there. You had uh, everyone from you know, Mitsubishi, now into Bombardier, uh, the CRJ program. You had Embraer there. And then you had a lot of names in the regional space. You had Brian Bedford, CEO of Republic, uh, Linda Markham, president of Cape Air, Chip Child, CEO of SkyWest. So it was a good it was a good bunch. And it was great to see everyone in person. Everyone was there's definitely a great energy. People are excited to get back together. And I mean, that that sort of isn't directly our industry, but you know, it really shows that there is certainly demand for that pent up demand for those business meetings and everything that we've talked about. Yeah, I but, think you know everyone. I think you're right across all industries are pretty excited to to get back together. Now, you mentioned Brian Bedford, and you actually wrote a story earlier this week about uh, a little bit of news that Bedford made to you, right? That's right. So, uh, for those who who know uh, Republic for for quite some, you know, they've they've had quite the up and down history. But they went private in 2017 when they emerged from Chapter 11 uh, bankruptcy. So, but word has it that they have been looking at having an IPO sometime in the near future. Bloomberg reported earlier this year that they were in talks with advisors on such a deal. Well, I got Bedford into a corner and, and was chatting with him. And he said, you know, we have some shareholders. He didn't say who, but remember, the shareholders include American Airlines and United Airlines. Uh, some shareholders that, that would like them to go public. Uh, but he said it's not a priority at this time. So it's definitely sounds like an IPO is on the radar of Republic. The timing is still TBD. Right. Okay. So if you looked at the Bloomberg um, story from earlier this summer, it sounded like it was coming soon. And, you know, that would have been hot on the heels of uh, they're not regionals, but two airline IPOs this year, um, Frontier and Sun Country. So Republic, Which we should say is a record because yeah. we rarely have one airline IPO in a year, let alone two. And heck, if there were three, it would just be 
<laughs> red hot. Right. Absolutely. Um, so that that's uh, Bedford. Uh, what else? So uh, Mitsubishi was there. Is that RJ ever going to fly in the States? Did you hear anything? <laughs> oh, I think that program is completely uh, uh, it's, it's completely mothballed for the time being. Mm. You know, one of the, the recurring issues that I heard is for any plane to really start flying uh, any of these next generation planes is, is we need scope relief in the U.S. Mm. And those that aren't familiar with scope is. You know, American United and Delta all have, uh, you know, parts of their contracts with pilots called Scope that limits the number of regional jets that a, a an affiliate like Republic or SkyWest can fly. And those contracts cap the weight and the seat numbers on those planes. And the both the E-175 E-2 and the AMRJ-90, before it was rebranded the space jet, <laughs> were above those caps. Now, you know, I've covered uh, the need for those caps to be eased for probably five or six years now. And considering the concessions that pilots made during the COVID crisis or the poor labor relations that we're seeing come out of the crisis, there's very few people are anticipating any kind of relief on scope at the moment. Uh, it's uh, even uh, when I was speaking with Bedford briefly, he, he just said, you know, new technology really requires scope relief and he didn't say it, but he was not sounding optimistic when I spoke with him. Mm. You know, but Republic's sitting well. Yeah. Yeah. So, go ahead. I don't know. I was just going to say, I mean, the RJ is always like the, the, the next best plane. It has been for 10 years. And uh, it, uh, the Mitsubishi RJ, I should say. And right. It, it just uh, it seems to be keep. Keep, it keeps getting delayed and then there's the scope issue and the mtow issue and it's um um i wonder when that plane will ever fly in the states if ever oh, um, oh i doubt it but you know eyes in the sector are really on the next generation now hmm. you know it, it seems like scope was a side conversation very like yeah if this ever happens great but the there was a lot of buzz about electric aircraft yeah, now, what they say know, about that i mean mesa recently Mason United said they were ordering several um, uh, heart aviation regional jets or, or, or regional electric aircraft. I shouldn't say jets. I'm so used to saying regional jets. Um, right. What, any, any, any other carriers interested in that you kind know, of thing? So this is, this is where it, it got interesting. No one expects a, a large uh, electric aircraft in the near future. So 76 seats. Chip Child, SkyWest was like, we're a long way before we're going to be flying anything that doesn't, you know, run on grade A jet fuel. Hmm. Uh, but everyone has their eyes on the smaller segment. So eVTOLs, electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft, are considered air taxis. But people see them as sort of a gateway for the electric to electric electric propulsion into the industry. And eyes are on, uh, you know, mentioned Cape Air's deals with, uh, with Aviation for the Alice and with Technum for the P-Volt. Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're looking at those planes. You know, unfortunately, Jonathan Ornstein from Mesa, CEO of Mesa, was not there, so I really didn't get a chance to talk to Hart. But the segment, sector is really looking at those projects that are in the works and you know, where that they can come go in the future. You know, building that, though, you know, 10 to 15 years was the best case scenario for a 76 seat electric aircraft, really. That's true, so, really. That's <laughs> yeah, actually so quick. I mean, I mean, if you no, think it, that it, 10 years is how long it takes to design and um, design and build a conventional aircraft like the 787. So 10 years for absolutely. a 76 seat air, electric propulsion aircraft seems very fast. No, absolutely. And it really, I think that's one of the reasons why we didn't hear much about scope relief, because 
if the regional sector is looking at the next generation of planes, do you want to buy an E2 in two years that might be obsolete in 10 years or just wait 10 years to get electric aircraft? And that's a good question. And, and one of the things that came up was Embraer's new prop. And uh, their uh, VP for sales in the Americas, Mark Neely, was saying the plane is going to come already uh, prepared to run entirely on sustainable aviation wow. fuel. So you know, Embraer is is already planning for a future that's, if, if not electric, it's it's sustainable aviation fuel SAF and electrified, you know, so that's uh, that's in the works. And that's where the regional airlines are really starting to look at this point rather than you know, the geared turbofans we would talked about two years ago. Wow. Now, you mentioned, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Brian Bedford and other executives uh, are finding a bit of a labor shortage, right? Absolutely. So we all know that, that pilots have been a struggle for the regional airline sector for years. Uh -huh. Cape Air has been working on a pilot shortage since, you know, the 2008, 2009. What's come up during the crisis, and we've heard this from a lot of airlines, is uh, just entry-level staffing. Chip Childs at SkyWest said that their biggest challenge is just finding administrative and entry-level uh, ground position staff for, for their I mean, far-flung network that covers basically the entire country. You know, they, they didn't say whether they, they had to cut any flights as a result. Of course, they operate under uh, capacity purchase agreements for American United, so you have to assume you know, America and United Delta take care of those ground services at their airports. But Cape Air, uh, Linda Markham, she said that they've made some tactical reductions because of staffing issues. And, and really, this is just, it bellies the larger issue, which is facing the entire industry. Southwest Airlines CEO Bob Jordan told us last week that you know his biggest challenge coming in is going to be addressing entry-level jobs. <laughs> Hopefully, he's not going to Whataburger like, <laughs> like the applications are. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's it's the regionals you know, are sitting in an a, a tight place, you know, they're they're coming back, they're benefiting from the recovery, but they're also sort of the, you know, arguably face the biggest challenges hiring. They, yeah. they don't have the benefits that Southwest or United can offer. It's, uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's, no, it's an interesting was, struggle. It's really interesting when Jordan, Bob Jordan told me that last week. I mean, the um, we're talking about one of the largest employers in Texas, if not one of the largest employers in the country, struggling to find um you know, struggling to find employees who will get the the benefits that airline employees get, which, you know, travel and all the rest. And um, they're competing against the, the likes of Amazon and, and other big, you know, other sort of not industry companies for the same pool of workers. And it's uh, absolutely. It doesn't well, you know who the regional who the regional airlines named as their uh, top competitor for at least technicians? I'm curious who. Otis Elevators. Interesting. Yeah. Yep. Really? Otis Elevators and uh, the rapidly growing wind energy sector are mm. big competitors for maintenance technicians. That, and that's proving a challenge for them, too. That's super interesting. Okay, Ned, let's take a little break here. Hey there, Ned. We're back from our little break and... Uh, we were talking about the labor shortage and there's something else. This is kind of an awkward segue, but let's just run with it. There might be another factor leading to a labor shortage, or at least that's what SWAPA, the Southwest Airlines Pilot Association and the Allied Pilot Association, which represents Americans pilots, seem to be warning about in December, uh, coming up in December. 
That's right. So the uh, the two unions have filed uh, requested exemptions from President Biden's pending vaccine mandate, uh, you know, saying that it should be you know pilots are, are a special class. They have to you know, meet certain special health standards to, to fly planes and that they shouldn't have to get COVID uh, vaccinations if they think it would jeopardize their jobs. And, and they said a you know, thinly veiled threat was that uh, the mandate could disrupt holiday uh, flying, as we saw over the summer. So. Um, it, it dovetails with the whole labor shortage we're talking about, the idea that pilots would be sitting out uh, just because they aren't uh, they aren't vaccinated or getting vaccinated. Uh, one of the things that pointed out is the FAA mandates two days out after you right. get your jab. So it's uh, it's an interesting point of contention when you have on the other side of it. United Airlines, uh, they achieved 99 percent uh, covid vaccination rate amongst employees. And I, I just heard from the union today. Uh, the Airline Pilot Association, that only 20 United pilots did not get their vaccines out of the entire pilot pool. Well, I mean, United offered a very big stick in addition to a carrot, right? And that was that um, employees who were not vaccinated could face termination or unpaid leaves of absences. And this was across all work groups. So, I mean, that that is uh, quite a stick there to, um, to make people get their vaccines. Now, now, it's important to note that neither American... Um, I'm sorry, uh, Southwest does not have a vaccine mandate in place for any of its employees. And as we were mentioning our conversation with Bob Jordan last week, he told me sort of off, not on stage at the Skip Global Forum, but um, offline that, that uh, you know, they're just waiting to see what will happen with the Bi- Biden administration's proposed mandate, because there's a lot of details that are still unclear about what that mandate will entail. So Southwest doesn't believe it needs to have its own mandate right now until it sees how the Biden administration's um, rules will be and how they can deconflict them or how they mesh together. So that, all that said, Southwest does not have a mandate. Um, Delta does. and um, Delta has a quasi-mandate. They aren't quote unquote mandating it, but they are uh, they, they are uh, putting a $200 surcharge on employees who don't get vaccinated on their health care, which right. has proven to be $200 a, a, a month. Big, $200 a month. That's right. So it's it's not insignificant. And they said uh, about two weeks ago, that they're 82 percent vaccinated, which from what I can tell is, is a lot higher than, than the likes of American Southwest. Right. I, I saw the American, they have 4,200 pilots that aren't vaccinated at this point, which I would pro- guess is, is a good a sizable chunk of their pilot workforce. Yeah. And um, United also, I mean, with this, with its very strict mandate, I mean, Scott Kirby, the CEO of United was on TV today saying that companies should just do it and f- face the consequences. And, see what happens. I think United, I believe today said it was going to, uh, it will have to terminate 600 employees for not complying. 593 was, okay. uh, I believe the number. So I round uh, that up. 600, <laughs> 593 employees um, uh, who did not comply with its vaccine mandate. Um, so this is kind of a tough spot to be in because the other thing that I've been hearing, and I, I this was mentioned on FedEx's earnings call, um, is that, uh, there's already a labor shortage and not just talking about pilots. There's already a labor shortage A vaccine mandate. The fear is among business leaders that it could cause this labor shortage to even to worsen, right? Because suddenly you've got people who, are, who don't want to get the shot are told they have to get the shot to keep their jobs. So they go off and work, find a company that doesn't require a shot. Um, so 
it's going to be tricky. But let me let me ask you this, Madhu. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to fly in a plane where you any you know the crew could be vaccinated or unvaccinated? Do you want to fly in a plane where at least you know the crew out, out of everyone on board is vaccinated? Personally. Personally. Was, personally, I would feel more comfortable flying on an aircraft where the crew were vac was vaccinated. Subjunctive mood there, excuse me. The crew were vaccinated. Um but I would uh but I'd go even a step further. I'd feel more comfortable flying in plane if there's a passenger mandate. At, Which we know Qantas is is going to implement for international flights uh, uh as soon as December is is what they've said. Same with Canada. You know, it, Canada has snuck that into um into its rules for reopening, it snuck it in in like the bottom of this this long transport Canada um, announcement saying that uh, passengers on certain modes of transportation, including trains and air aircraft, will need to be vaccinated. So interesting. So my question is: is I think there's there's you know of course there is a a minority of people who. Do you want to get do not want to get vaccinated, which is the reason why we're having this discussion right now. Right. But will vaccine mandates or the lack thereof impact airlines businesses? And that's what I have not seen a good answer to at this point. Will it change booking patterns? That's and a I have good seen question. no evidence. Of I, that. I don't think anyone knows that. But I tell you what will change booking patterns. And that's if, uh, you know, French President Emmanuel Macron um, said recently something along the lines of, um, uh, he just had lost patience with anti-vaccine um, anti advocates and, and um, uh, said something along the lines of, it's now time for the unvaccinated to stay home. The, the vaccinated have stayed home and did their part, and now it's time. So, and that caused protests in France recently. Uh, so well, we wonder, know the French do love their protests. That's true. That's true. If it's Tuesday, there's a strike. Um but uh, one thing that will be, you know, if there is a passenger a mandate like Canada has where, you know, to fly, you need to have proof of vaccine or a recent test. Will that cause people to take the vaccine more? I mean, if, they, if, if you start to hit people, I mean, not, I live in San Francisco. I was recently in New York City. You have to pr provide proof of double vaccination to enter a restaurant a uh, bar, a movie theater, et cetera, et cetera, any indoor venue. And I don't, you know, at least in San Francisco, the restaurant industry embraced it. Um, so you, cause they want to keep their employees safe. So if there's a passenger mandate, will that cause air travel to rise or fall? I don't know. It could go either way, really. It could. There's a lot yeah, of people I, who I, still feel unsafe traveling. So will that community, which is not, I mean, to be honest, the vaccinated, even in, in the States where our vaccine rate is in the 60% range, like that's still the majority. Absolutely. No, you're right. And I, you know, I've, I've just sort of thinking about labor shortage and everything you're bringing around to, will a highly trained pilot at say American really quit their job? When we know that it takes weeks, if not months, for them to get in the door at a new airline, if they're even hired without a vaccine, you know, or or will they just get the job? And, you know, and I it's it's one thing for entry level employees, but when you have a highly trained person at American that's earning good money, uh, and, and do you know they don't have a guaranteed prospect of getting a new job flying right away, would they really give up that just uh, you know just because they don't want to get a job? So you're I saying it's a game of chicken? 
It is a game of it's absolutely a game of chicken Madhu. <laughs> and uh chicken really never and that game never really ends well for anyone. So I'm curious to see how this this plays out. I think we all are. Yeah. Absolutely, I am, definitely. Well Madhu, that uh you know, changing gears a bit, let's uh let's head abroad. You know, Cutter Airways just unveiled their results and they had a pretty sizable loss. You know, tell tell us a bit more about what, what they saw. Yeah, a little north of four billion dollars. Um Wow. In the last fiscal year. And Cutter said, you know, Cutter reports its uh fiscal year results annually. So there's no quarterly results. And it's a little bit opaque, like all the three Middle Eastern carriers. They release these audited results once a year. And this this period encompasses the last 12 months. So kind of the depths of the COVID crisis and this climb out as vaccination picked up. So um, yeah, Qatar lost $4 billion. Its passenger revenue was minuscule. I mean, it was about um, 8 billion rials, which... Um, is just a little over $2 billion. That's its entire annual passenger revenue. I mean, we're talking about a, um, a carrier that used to post that kind of revenue quarterly. Um, however, <laughs> and this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart, its cargo revenue was 18 billion reals. So more than double the passenger revenue. Wow, that's a that's big. That is big. And... Cargo was uh, was the lifeline. It was it. It traffic cargo grew by five percent, despite as we know a collapse in belly hold car capacity, uh, because there were no international flights. And to that point, Ned, I thought it was interesting as well that Cutter sort of started its fiscal year operating to just thirty three of its destinations, and now is back thirty three out of uh, well. Oh, now it's ahead. back up to one hundred and forty. So, wow, is 140 their full pre-pandemic no, network? No, it is not. No, okay. They're not flying to certain places um, that are still restricted, and they're sort of being a little, as they said, strategic. But but um, they are deploying some of that capa you know, capacity they have lying around to certain markets, including um, Brazil and the U.S. and Canada, that exceeds pre-pandemic capacity. Interesting. Now, what what is uh, I, I heard that they they wrote down their A380s. Is that true? What's what's happening with the super jumbos there? They didn't really say much. They just said they took a you know a two point three billion charge for impairment for um, parking the three eighty and three thirty fleets. Um, I mean, considering that their whole loss is four billion, that's that's half of it. Yeah, just uh, for the three thirties and three eighties alone. Exactly. So. So, I mean, I don't know if those aircraft are coming back. Like I said, you know, well, it's not a public... According to Executive, Tra Executive Traveler today, they, they will be flying five A380s again in November. Interesting. Um, Akbar uh, Al-Baker uh, uh, will be eating his words that it was the <laughs> worst decision for Qatar to ever buy those planes, which he said a year ago. So, um, and, and a, a very pricey write-down. So. Yeah, it was a pricey <laughs> write-down. So um, Cutter also interestingly said in its uh, earnings report that it did not take any money from its its shareholder, as it calls it, which is the government of Qatar. Um, but it did take $3 billion in equity from the government of Qatar. So I'm really not seems sure how like that isn't a bailout. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it seems like that's taking money from, from your shareholders. Yeah, it does, <laughs> but... doesn't it? I was trying to square that circle there. I was like, how is that not a subs, you know, a, a bailout when it's $3 billion in equity? 
I mean, if anyone knows, tell me at mu at skiff.com. Please let me know. Or tell Ned at our, uh, er at skiff.com because that, that was a little hard for me to figure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we, we know that the Gulf carriers have some, like you said, opaque financials as the, the U.S. airlines showed in their, their drive against the MH3 several years ago. Right. So. <laughs> Which seems to be like well in the rearview mirror, right? I mean, now Qatar is making deal like – partnerships and deals and co-chair agreements the likes of america and alaska and JetBlue. so uh we're all friends again <laughs> we, we are all friends again right i mean yeah enemies one day friends the next that's the uh, changing nature of this industry that is the airline industry all right ned let's leave it there today um thank you once again to all of you listening and uh, check us out at airlineweekly.com and we'll be back next week bye madu Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skiff.com. Of course, check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week. <laughs>